The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We are glad you're with us today. I am Reverend Dan Beckett here uh, announcing that Reverend Michelle Jalinch is no longer with us because she got married and now she's <laughs> Reverend Michelle Vargas. Same wonderful uh, voice, different name. (laughs) Together today, uh, Reverend Vargas and I will share ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your addiction recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. And be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. So please go ahead and let us know what's on your mind. We would really love to hear from you. Today's show is titled Trust the Process. For many of us, when in early addiction recovery, we're not inclined to trust others or other people's ideas of how things should be done. But once we make the commitment to clean and sober living, we have an opportunity to learn and trust a recovery process that has worked for many others. We get to decide if it will work for us. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on learning to trust the process of recovery on the way to a life that is happy, joyous, and free. Yes. So we want to share with you today what we were like before, what happened, and what we are like now, along with the spiritual tools or principles that helped guide us through the tough times. We certainly hope you'll find something in our experience that will be helpful to you in your own recovery. So today we're going to be talking about moving from distrust to joy in living through the principle or the power of trusting the recovery process. When I think about, uh, you know, we asked the question of ourselves, what was, what was my experience of living in a way that was kind of distrustful? And what I remember is um, just the, the, I don't know, I was going to call it like a natural inclination. It was just the way that I was, and still am to a large degree, of my sort of my go-to approach to just about anything is to figure it out on my own, yes. you know, to, to, to learn about something from a book, right? Not a person or to learn by, you know, fiddling with something or doing something 
and I had hobbies like, you know, electronics and I like to take apart broken radios and just look at everything and see how they worked and all that. And, um, you know, that was all kind of solitary stuff. And so it, it never really occurred to me. I don't know if it didn't occur to me. I, I guess what it feels like more than anything is it just, it never, it never felt like a viable option to move forward any other way. Yeah. Then, you know, I, I got this, I'll figure it out myself. I'll just go, um, I'll, you know, the, the phrase that always comes to mind, I'll just go off in a corner and learn about this, or I'll go off in a corner and build this. Now I've spent a lot of years, um, doing computer software, which is like perfect for that. Right. So it's not like, uh, it's not like it's going to limit my life possibilities, but it's not the, um, as we know, it's, it's not the way I'm doing things as much as what's underneath that. Like if I'm doing that because I don't trust other people in general, then, you know, that's something I'm going to want to work on and heal. Now I can keep doing that because I enjoy it. But, um, if I'm living in a kind of, a in a world of distrust, that that's not a real happy place to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, uh, the way I grew up, really influenced this for me. I mean, my parents divorced when I was two years old. I was an only child. So I grew up pretty independent and alone most of the time. I didn't have, you know, siblings to rely on or a lot of close family around me. Um, it was basically me and my mom, you know, and she was a working, you know, full-time working um, single mother. And so I learned to be super self-reliant, which has its benefits, obviously, um, but also I didn't learn as a young person growing up, I didn't learn what it is to have folks around me that I could trust and that I could rely on. So I really learned that if I needed to do something and if I needed it to be done, I needed to do it myself. And I had this real feeling of going it alone. And I didn't know what it was to have folks around me that could guide me that I could trust. So that was um, a very new thing for me in recovery and something that I really had to learn um, how to do that. And we're going to talk more about that later. But I also, um, you know, that that do-it-yourself mentality and being super independent also lent, lent itself to a certain arrogance, you know, um, which I think was born of necessity, right? I needed to have this sort of fierce, I can do it myself, darn it, attitude, because that's what propelled me through and, and having to do things myself. Um, but that arrogance of, I don't need anyone, I can do it myself, also uh, later became a liability because I needed to learn to trust others. So um, yeah, that was definitely my my MO when I came into recovery was I can do it myself. I don't need, I know best. Let's put it that way. I know best, you know? So there was yeah. a hubris there that I um, ultimately had to work with in order to become teachable. Well, there may well have been a time when that was absolutely true. Yes. And you needed that. Exactly. And that's true for all of us. You know, the, yep. the problem is not that we don't adapt the, the strategies that are right at the time is that we don't let go of them. 
when they're exactly. no longer necessary. But hey, how, how are we supposed to know that? I guess yeah. we just learn and grow. Yeah. Well, one way we might know that is by asking for help, which I would never do ever yeah. right. for any reason. I mean, and even my, <laughs> you know, my response to that concept is, why, why don't you go ask so-and-so for help? I'm like, why on earth would I do that? That's yeah. just like you're speaking a different language. That makes no sense to me. Right. Or in a, as an introvert, of course, that didn't help at all. I mean, yeah. it, I, I like how you and I sometimes in a very similar place, even yeah. though you're very much an extrovert and I'm an introvert. It just goes yeah. to show that, you know, anyone can 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 land in these yeah. places. It's not because I'm an extrovert or because right. you're an um, because I'm an introvert, because you're an extrovert, it's just that we have different approaches to things. And yeah. my attitude was, you know, looking around, I was like, why are all these extroverts talking to people they don't know for no reason at all? This seems foolish. <laughs> Look at them. Do you, know, do you know that person? <laughs> why, why are you talking to them? You don't even know them. That's That was with my other mantra. I only like to watch movies that I've already seen. Oh, no. I see. <laughs> no, I am willing to watch new stuff, but it's it's the it's that security of going to the familiar. Yes, I think is a big part of it, and you know certainly, uh, I don't know if this applies to all alcoholics, addicts, and codependents, but I know for me, if I find something that works, I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, you know, if one's good, two's better. Yeah. that's kind of my uh, been my mantra in life. It's not quite so much anymore. Um, but certainly for a while. So ask for help. I don't think so. I don't think so. Why would I do that? No, oh, doesn't make any sense. That's crazy. Yeah. And like I said, I had this arrogance. Why would I ask for help? Because I knew best. And that had been <laughs> out of necessity from, you know, I, I had to know best because it was just me growing up. So, um, but yeah, later on it became an arrogance and a hubris, you know, that I didn't, I knew best and, um, and, you know, I mean, that it's not like that's totally gone. I still have a little bit of that. But I've learned to temper it. And like I said, we'll talk more about this later. I've learned to temper it with um, asking for help from folks that I trust. Yes. Um, so the other thing that was occurring to me as you were talking, and I think that this is probably common of a lot of addicts, I had, and I still have, um, what I would call a terminal uniqueness. You know, I am so unique. So what you have to tell me cannot possibly help me because <laughs> it doesn't pertain to me. I'm different. That might work for you, but yeah. I am so terminally unique that it couldn't possibly work for me. Yeah. I think it's that four wing of the three, the Enneagram three. We love to talk Enneagram. Dan knows much more about it than I do, but I'm trying to learn from him. Um, that seems to be a little bit of what that four That's is. That's exactly that, what it is. Yes. It's like, oh, I'm so different than all of you. Right. And I think that even if people don't have it as an actual personality, you know, com, you know, major component of their personality, I think a lot of us feel that way in recovery. You know, it's like, that's great that that works for you, but I'm different. My case is different. Yeah. I don't know where exactly that comes from, but I've heard people share that in meetings and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, that's, that's definitely true for me. It, it's an arrogance, you know, but it's an arrogance that was born of necessity. So like so many of these, you know, what we call in recovery character defects, but um, you know, they're really just, they're adaptive, adaptive or maladaptive traits, you know, that, like I say, we, 
we came up with because we needed them. So we don't have to vilify them or demonize them. We can understand that they served their purpose. They got us through. They got yes. us through what we needed to get through. And now we can see their liability and we can work with them and learn to mitigate them. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, terminal uniqueness is a phrase that I heard in uh, the re in recovery circles. And yeah, it, it does show up in that Enneagram 4, which um, I would see. You're, you're a, well, I'm a 5. There's a 4 next to me, but I have a 6 wing. Okay. Not a four wing, but I wonder if there's any of that going on. But but I know drunks that are all over the Enneagram, so it's not that necessarily. <laughs> that we're all we're all terminally unique, you know. No yeah. no one can possibly understand my pain, you know, all that yeah. kind of thing. And you know, a lot of this is out of self centeredness, which you were kind of pointing at, which is another trait that it seems that we all have in common and that self-centeredness born out of uh well born out of fear out of distrust after out of you know that that part that tells me i better just figure out this out myself is very self-oriented yes. right and so it quickly um can become uh without realizing it of course a self-centeredness where literally everything in the world is uh, somehow uh, in existence through my perceptions, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's sort of human, but it's exaggerated typically in addicts. Yeah, or that idea that, you know, other other ways of being are just failed attempts at being like me. You know, <laughs> religions have that too, right? You know, yeah. people in a particular religious tradition may look at other religious traditions as failed attempts at being, you know, Christian, Hindu, yeah. Buddhist, whatever it might yeah. be. But I think that's inherent. I mean, I, I believe that we're born kind of self-oriented uh, but with the innate capacity for divine connection and and human heart connection but we uh, kind of drift away from that a little bit yeah as we as we move along yes we do well i think it's time to get out of the problem it's it's always good and right to acknowledge what the challenge is but the next step is always to move out of the problem and into the solution. It's like when, um, am I complaining or venting? If I'm venting, I just letting off some steam on my way to a healthier response. Yeah. If I'm complaining, I don't know, it's the same thing with the, with the more positive spin. I like to think of myself as venting, not complaining. But <laughs> the point is we move on from there. We tell our story and then we move on to where um, we can make some progress in our recovery. So we've talked a lot about distrust and let us move to the solution. And what is the solution today? Well, in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. And so the spiritual principle that helped us with this particular issue of distrust and moving from distrust into joy in living is the power of faith. Trusting the recovery process is, in essence, an act of faith, and that's how we're going to approach it today in our discussion. That's how I have found it to be, you know, looking at what some other people are saying, hey, this works, and I'm like, I don't know. It takes right. kind of an act of faith, an yeah. act of courage and faith to say, well, you know, I'll give it a try. I'm not sure, but I'll give it a try and see what's going on. So, Michelle, when you think about 
trusting the recovery process. What does that mean for you? Well, you know, I was thinking it helps to be totally out of ideas, right? <laughs> and such, it, it, such a rare place to be, but yes. yeah. And it helps to be in a lot of pain, frankly, you know, um, that for me has been the motivator. I don't think too many of us got sober because what we were doing was working or because we were happy, joyous and free. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gotten sober or come to, you know, other uh, types of recovery. We come to recovery because we're frankly plumb out of ideas and we're miserable and we're in a lot of pain. And I can look back now and be grateful for that pain because it was the pain that got me to surrender. You know, if I hadn't been in a whole hell of a lot of pain, I would never have walked into the 12-step rooms. So absolutely um, grateful for that. Glad to not be in it anymore, um, but grateful for it. So when, you know, that self-will run riot, that sort of what we've been talking about, that um, terminal uniqueness and that need to be so independent and um, do everything on my own, it needed to be knocked flat, really. It needed to be knocked off of its, you know, pedestal or whatever, or uh, that was a necessary process. It's sort of like, you know, there's so many things in life where there's a breaking down before there's a building up, right? I needed to have what I, the structure that I had created needed to crumble in order that I could create something new and in order that I would feel the need of, um, of help, of asking for help, of trusting and looking to others. And frankly, you know, when I came into AA, I still had a lot of arrogance. I still have a lot of arrogance today. And so sometimes life still has to kind of toss me around a little bit to get me to have some humility. You know, I, I don't, now I'm a lot better at asking for help and trusting others and, um, and seeking guidance from others. But sometimes I can still really think that I know it all. And then life is uh, all too happy to show me that um, <laughs> I need to have a little humility, you know. And again, those places aren't typically a whole heck of a lot of fun to be in. But I'm grateful for them now, the times that I was sort of humbled by life, because it's when I became teachable. So for me, there was a process of trusting that maybe these people in these rooms knew something that I didn't. Um, maybe. You know, the thing is, is I knew everything because I was 24 years old and every 24-year-old knows everything. I knew everything, <laughs> but what I didn't know anything about was spirituality. That's the one thing I didn't know anything about. And so that's where I was teachable. You know, and I had no idea what this God thing and relying on God and all these spiritual concepts that folks were talking about, that was all completely new to me. Um, and so I had to trust uh, what they were saying and listen to them and seek their guidance because I was a spiritual newbie, basically. So that helped. That helped me have some humility because I knew that I had no idea what these people were talking about, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's great that you stuck around, and me too. Mm -hmm. You know, trusting the recovery process, I was uh, laughing to myself about. I mean, many, many of us are arrogant early on in, in pre-recovery, um, you know, think that we're really great. Or, like you said, we might think we're the worst, which is the same or thing. Or both, both simultaneously. Yeah, yeah or, or just one or the other. I'm the best worst. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Or I'm the greatest, except when I'm the worst, and then I'm the worst. <laughs> right. 
but then we can work on it and uh that improves a lot which is you know pretty great Listening to others is something that helped me trust the recovery process. So now for the uh, any uh, introverts who are listening, you can get you can become a part of a recovery group and community and listen to others and you don't even have to talk to anyone. Mm. So there there to me that was a wonderful piece of it. You don't you don't walk into a room and they say, oh, go stand up in the front and spend 10 minutes telling us all about who you are. Oh, no. You can walk in a few minutes late, sit in the back, look at no one, talk to no one, and leave. And you can do that for a year or two if you want to. It's perfectly fine. Nobody is going to give you a hard time. You're perfectly welcome to do that. And that was helpful to me. Now, not not that I was literally doing all those things, but as an as an introvert getting sober, I was not the one jumping up to the front of the room to lead the group, uh, you know, in any way. So I liked that simply by um, I could trust the process by showing up and listening to others, and I and I didn't even really have to do anything beyond that. I mean, it's powerful that just listening to what others have to say can uh, make a huge difference Yeah. while I literally, I'm literally sitting on my butt learning this stuff by doing nothing but being there. It's true. And we do do a lot of listening to other folks in the 12 step programs. I mean, think of the hours and hours and hours that we have spent and listening to other people's stories and other people sharing what was going on for them. And over years and years of that, um, it just, it's like, where else in this life do you have that opportunity to um, sit there for an hour, you know, multiple times a week and listen to other people tell what's going on for them? It's really a gift that we have in 12-step recovery that a lot of other folks don't get that opportunity. We get a real front row seat into people's lives and what's really going on with people, you know? When we walk around in, you know, day-to-day life, people aren't usually letting all their stuff hang out, you know? We know that when we go out to the grocery store, we got to sort of pull it together. But in 12-step rooms, people are letting it all hang out. They're giving us the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, and we get to hear all of that. And over time, these stories, they expand us, you know, and they 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 humble us and, and we can learn so much. So I needed to become teachable, you know, and uh, be open and, and figure that maybe there was something for me to learn here. And, you know, I've heard so many people say, you can learn something at any AA meeting. You can go into an AA meeting or any kind of 12-step meeting and be like, who are these people? These are not my people, you know, or this is not my neighborhood, or this is not my country or even my language, you know, and we can do all that stuff to us, to ourselves in our head where what could I possibly, why did I come here? What could I learn from these folks? But you will learn something in that meeting because it's a bunch of human beings sharing their truth. And being brutally honest and authentic. And we can always learn something from that. I don't know that I knew that early on, but I know it now. And I know that we have this amazingly unique opportunity in 12-step programs to learn from other folks being authentic and sharing their truth. Yeah. And all I got to do is show up. It's like a scavenger hunt where there's no list. show on earth. Yeah, that's true. You You get a front row seat. It really is. (laughs) 
Yeah. I, I love that you're sharing that. And in a way it's, it's a, that's a, that's a piece of all this that it's really stuck with me over time. It's just that idea that says there is something good for me here. Yes. I wonder what it is. Yeah. Just being open and curious is the word curious. that comes to mind. Yeah. Or think of going to uh, recovery meetings as a scavenger hunt where I don't have the list of yeah. stuff. I yeah. just got to go see, well, I wonder what it is today yeah. that's going to, um, you know, be a little, a bit of light or show me something yeah. important. Uh, it's wonderful. And the people there, the way I've come to know it is um, people just getting together and telling the truth yeah. about what's going on. And you, do, I do not hear that many mm -hmm. other places. You know, there's, there's much less sort of posturing, trying to look good. Yeah. Certainly there's some of that also, but in general, people are just being very straightforward about their experiences in the yeah. world because we learn over time and I learned over time that my experience can be of benefit to others if I'm willing to share it. Just like everyone else who's been willing to share their experience has been um, a benefit for me. Yeah, it's such a really cool thing when you think about it. It really is. And like you say, there's always something that we can learn from other folks being authentic and sharing their authentic truth. Um, you know, it, I did have that arrogance uh, thinking I knew it all myself, but I think there was a part of me that desperately wanted to learn to rely on others and desperately wanted to um, know what it was to get support and guidance from others. And that's absolutely what I found in the rooms, you know, was um, folks that were that were all too willing to share what had worked for them. And, um, you know, we have that give it away mentality, right? You got to give it away to keep it. And um, folks genuinely want to help others with what has worked for them. And it's not to say that everything you hear in the rooms is going to work for you or that everything you hear in the rooms is even good information. There's there's a certain discernment we have to do. You know, we can't just willy-nilly accept anything that anyone says. We're not professionals. We're not therapists. You know, we're all just bumbling along trying to find our way like everyone else. But there still there is so much wisdom in those rooms and you learn over time you learn to um to identify it you know you learn to cut hours and hours and hours of listening to people's stories you we learn so much about human nature and we i think we really start to learn how to tell who is being genuine and who is just full of beans you know oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah and it, so you it, start it really to shines that. it seems to be more apparent in that environment. Yeah. And you also see over time that person that seemed to be talking a really good talk. And then, you know, next thing you know, they come in, they're all tore up and you know, <laughs> you're like, okay, they really didn't, you know, and so there's more going on than we yeah, know. Yeah, There's more going on and, and you just learn so much. Um, you just learn so much. That's all I can say is there is a heck of a lot to be learned in those rooms. If we can be, remain open and teachable. I want to close with something that helped me uh, a lot. And I have to say this quickly. Look for people who have what I want yes. and then go talk to them and ask what they did and do what they did. But let's hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We hope that you'll please stay with us.
practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Yes, welcome back. We are glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett, and I'm here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas, our new co-host. No, it's the <laughs> same wonderful co-host with a new last name. That's exciting. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there and let us know what's on your mind. So prior to the break, we were discussing uh, first that distrust of thinking we had to figure everything out ourselves and not really trusting others very much. And then we moved into trusting the recovery process and what that looked like for us. So let's talk now about how trusting the recovery process has helped us to move into or to move from that distrust into what we love to call joy in living, living happy, joyous and free. Yeah, what a wonderful promise, and I love that phrase. We love it. Might talk about that a little more in a few minutes. But the first thing that comes to mind when I ask myself, how did how did trusting the recovery process help me move from uh, living sort of a from a distrustful point of view uh, into living a life of joy or to a joy in living? And we just talked about it, but it's it just remains like a central point, and it's simply learning from others. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said before, I can learn from others and not say a word. Yeah. I can learn from others without making friends. I can learn from others just from sh- being willing to show up and listen. And that's it. But for me, and it gets even better than that. You know, we talk um, in recovery circles about the meeting before the meeting and mm. the meeting after the meeting. And when I first heard that, I thought there was some other like formal event <laughs> that I was unaware of. Before I uh, realized, they're just talking about, you know, well, for me at the time, smoking cigarettes in the parking lot. Yeah. You know, that's the meeting before the meeting. That's where I get to, you know, hear what people are saying and say hey to people I know and just sort of shoot the breeze and see what's going on, you know. And I'd like to, sh- I'd like to show up a good 15 minutes early, especially when I was smoking. It might be a little harder <laughs> if I quit. I was going to say, you the introvert stuff, talking to people for no reason. <laughs> well, I was mostly listening, but yes. <laughs> and then the same thing afterwards. You know, we yeah. sort of tumble outside. You got a little styrofoam cup full of coffee, standing there talking to people, maybe asking how's it going with that thing that you were telling me about last week or whatever might be going on. So learning from others, which can be anything from just showing up and liter- and listening and literally not talking, or it can be, um, and for me, it was, you know, slowly over time learning to interact. And I guess the scenario that comes to mind, as I described, that was not my first year. I had a couple of recovery buddies the first year. Um, but in later years is when it was just sort of whoever was standing outside. Yeah. I could be part of the group just because I am part of the group. 
Yeah, you mentioned styrofoam, and I was thinking, wow, you're going way back. But then I realized you're not talking about California. No. We haven't had styrofoam in California for a long time. <laughs> it's written in the Constitution here yeah. in South Carolina. <laughs> yes, the meeting after the meeting, so much fun. Um, I've never had so much fun in my life as I have with uh, recovery folks. We used to, well, early in recovery, someone suggested that I go to women's meetings. And um, I'm so grateful for that suggestion because, um, you know, early on, I just went to any meeting I could get to. But after I had some time, a year or so, I started really hitting the women's meetings. And that was excellent advice for me as a woman. Um, It just really helped me to focus on recovery and not, you know, seeing and being seen. And um, just, you know, as women, we had so much in common. Our, you know, if you sit in a mixed meeting and think you have a lot in common with people, when you sit in a same-sex meeting, you just sometimes can find that you have even so much more in common with them because they're just, sure. you know, we have these commonalities. Anyway, we used to go to Denny's after our uh, Friday night meeting and um, just, oh, just laugh and talk for hours. And just, those are just such great memories. And, you know, we had a lot of fun. There was a lot of bonding going on, but learning as well, you know, and, and the more you bond with people, the more you become willing to learn from them, you know, and those relationships were really important to me in my recovery. So yes, learning to listen to others and, uh, trust others and trust that maybe they knew something that I didn't. Um, like I said, the area I was most teachable in was spirituality, which is really what the program is mostly about. So that was helpful because I knew I didn't know anything about it. You know, when people started talking about, you know, turning your will and your life over to God, I was like, what is that about? I mean, I didn't understand that at all. And that was the first time that I had to really trust, you know, as I was like, okay, I don't even believe in God. How am I supposed to turn my will and my life over to God? Uh, but I trusted, I was able to trust because I saw that all these other people did. They did. They talked so passionately about this higher power that they had this relationship with and that they turned things over to and that power helped them and supported them and guided them. And it all just sounded so wonderful to me, you know, that I was able to hear that and say, well, sounds dubious to me, but (laughs) it seems to be working for these folks. So let me try it out. Let me try it out. You know, and my, my well, uh, well-worn story about my sponsor saying that it was okay that I didn't have my own, higher power because I could borrow hers until I got my own. And that was literally the process. I borrowed hers and darn it, if before I knew it, I didn't have my own higher power. And, uh, you know, that's just the way things panned out for me. You know, I like to say the proof is in the pudding, you know, don't, don't take these things or trust them because we say so trust them because you tried it out and it worked for you. You know, there is that initial trusting. You have to trust it enough to try it out. But once you try it out, these concepts, they pan themselves out pretty quickly. There's a pretty quick return on most of these things. Wouldn't you say, Dan, you start doing these things and you get the benefits very quickly. I would. And I also love that about um, recovery uh, program is that nobody's telling us you have to do anything. You don't have to do all this stuff, but you're welcome to. And you're welcome to talk to others who have 
been on this road longer, maybe people that, you know, when I first got sober, the idea that someone had been sober for 20 years, I was like, what? You know, I just can't even, that's like unfathomable. It made no sense. To, right. It's like, I couldn't even wrap my head around that. Yeah. But the people uh, who have been around a while have things to offer and actually so do newcomers. I mean, sometimes even when I had, um, some uh, decent time in the program, new people all the time saying things. And I'm like, heck yeah, that is exactly mm -hmm. it. Thank you mm -hmm. for the connection, for the reminder, for, mm -hmm. um, you know, the bringing the humanity to it. It's, uh, you know, I, maybe I hadn't thought about what they said in a while, but I knew exactly what they were getting at. And it helps me. You know, so it's right. not it's not only people that have been around for a while, uh, for a while we can learn from. It's people that are brand new, yeah. we can learn from as well. Yeah. That's one of the beauties of it. But how how did trusting the process help me uh, move from distrust to joy? It's as simple as step work, right? So step work can be as simple as you know, go read these two pages, underline anything that you know, doesn't make sense or you really like it or you really don't like it, you know, anything that you notice, underline it. And then let's what go to Denny's yeah. or Waffle House and uh -huh. let's talk about whatever it is. You know, let's yeah. talk about what you read. That's it. Yes. That's I mean, it. you could, you could get sober one paragraph at a time mm -hmm. doing step work mm -hmm. if you need to, yeah. you know, there's no hurry. We right. can each kind of go at our own pace and so doing step work helped me to trust the process because the step work is the process, but no one was telling me that I was on a timeline. I wasn't getting graded. Like you got an A on step one, you got a B, you know, you got a D minus, you might want to do it. There's no such thing <laughs> as that. And so it, it can be, and it is so very personal that right. um, there's no contest, no competition. It's not a race. Nope. Um, and doing step work helped me a lot to trust the process, even if I just did it a little bit at a time. Yes. Yes, I like that you said it's not a race. Um, I often hear about people having done all the steps in their first, like, two or three months, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? That's you know, pass number one, then you go yeah, back. Yeah, that was not my... Um, that was not my experience. And of course, there's many different ways to do this program. There's no right way, but I've found that slow and steady wins the race. Isn't that like Aesop's fables or something? I don't know, but it sounds the tortoise, really good. The tortoise and the hare. Yeah, slow and steady wins the race. Um, racing into things could possibly cause us to fizzle out and not not stay true to the path. So I like what you said that, you know, as long as you're doing the deal, as long as you're engaged, as long as you are, you know, if you read a paragraph this week, that's great. Just stay engaged, stay part of the process. So, yes, how did trusting the process help me to move into joyful living? Um, so there was trusting the recovery process, and then that has become, for me, a way of seeing the world and my life, which involves trusting the whole process, trusting the universe, trusting this whole process that is our human experience on this planet, um, which I did not before. That was not my worldview. Um, it absolutely is my worldview now. And again, not because I'm, you know, 
Pollyanna. I do choose to believe that, but it keeps getting borne out again and again and again. That's the thing. Um, it has been proven to me over and over in my life that I don't have to force life to happen. I don't have to figure everything out and make it come out right. I can learn to trust life, trust God, trust myself, trust recovery. Um, as long as I am engaged, and like we talked about last week, doing the next indicated thing in front yeah, of me, yeah. um, my life will unfold just as it should. And I really didn't used to know what that meant, but I really know what it means now. Um, I don't know exactly how it works, uh, but I do, you know, it has to do with my my view of, you know, the whole big picture, the whole cosmos, the universe being a benevolent, benign place that wants to conspire for my growth, for my highest good, as well as for yours and everyone else's, the highest and best for every being on this planet. Um, and that I'm just a tiny part of that. And if I can just do what's in front of me and stay as much as I can in today, that it will unfold absolutely as it should. And um, all I can say is that has just absolutely been my experience. And so I trust that now and I trust it with everything. Now, does that mean that I'm always feeling 100% trusting in every moment, especially if I'm in a tough place or making a difficult decision or I'm in one of those valleys of life where things are painful? You know, it, it can still be tough. Life is still life. Life is still in session. But my bigger picture that I hold on to is that this thing is all going somewhere and it's going somewhere good. You know, that reminds me of one of our sayings and I do love our sayings, even though I'll confess there was a, a time in my recovery where I would roll my eyes at yeah. some of our sayings, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, just as I kind of got to know them. But the one that's coming to mind is let go, let God. And as you shared that, I mean, my experience is very similar. It's not like, uh, you know, life is not static. Like, like everything is always changing and evolving and, and everything is in relationship to yeah. other stuff. And so I might not always be, you know, uh, spiritually as centered as I am sometimes. Right. But the, what matters about it is that that's the place I return to. It's not so much, it, you know, we don't get graded or you don't get a score for, you know, how... How much of your time did you spend in the present moment? I have no idea, and that's no. not a helpful way to look at it. No. But I know at any moment I can always return. Yes. And I do return, and that's what matters more than anything. So that phrase, let go, let God, at least, I mean, it's not a question, but it may as well be a question because for me, I, I will always ask, well, what, what would that look like? for me right now what does what would that mean given what's going on right now what would it mean to let go let god where is that line between what is mine to do and what is mine to let go of and as we say turn it over i like that one to turn it over to your higher power just you know drop all concept that you are responsible that i am responsible for making this happen just let go of it and see what comes up. Um, and I've just found it to be a very helpful and powerful tool. Let go, let God is not like a, a dance and I learned it and now I know it. It's not right. that at all. It's a, it's a pathway. It's a way of being. It's a way of 
thinking about things, Absolutely. A, a way of experiencing things that I can continually return to. It's a yes. path. It's a tool. You know, it's not a fixed pattern. Absolutely. These are things for us to practice, not things for us to do perfectly. Yeah. And I love that let go and let God. I mean, what that means to me is like I was starting to say before that I don't have to be out there forcing things to happen a certain way in my life or even in my own, you know, terminal uniqueness and arrogance, thinking that I've got to hold up the whole world myself in my own two hands. Right. Um, I can stay in my own lane and do what is mine to do, and I can allow the rest to unfold. And the thing is, is that when I'm not out there forcing things, when I'm allowing life to come to me, allowing life to unfold through me, things always turn out so much better, you know? And I'm not exactly sure how all of that works, except that I know that there's a whole lot of other forces active in the universe besides my particular ego self. <laughs> Oh, no. what a concept. <laughs> Don't say that. I know. And so there is this sort of divine order in the world, which again, I don't know exactly how it works. I don't, I don't, you know, pretend to understand it all. I just know it to be true. I know that things are unfolding as they should. And, and I trust that and I can just allow that and just, I can't emphasize that word enough, allowing life to unfold rather than forcing life to be a certain way. Um, what the universe has in mind for me is always infinitely better than what my ego self can come up with. And once I have really learned that, my life just looks really differently. So I know I know what it is I think I want, and I know what the universe wants for me. And the what the universe wants for me is always for my highest good and the highest good of everyone else around me. So that's always going to be a better idea than what I come up with from my own ego self. You know, so that's yeah. also another way that let, that's another way that I understand let go and let God. It's it's letting that higher self, that divine order um, unfold rather than what I myself think I want. I like that way of looking at it. And I really like that word unfold. Just sort of let it, um, you know, let it come to be by whatever means that is. I don't really know. But yeah. as opposed to trying to control Yes. everything which is not a real in my experience not a real great place to be yeah. you know when i think about the trusting the process and how that helps with joyful living i i think about you know freedom we've talked about freedom freedom has become a central concept for me yes uh both in recovery in spirituality in general in even my love of the bible and jesus teachings freedom and freedom has sort of two pieces to it, freedom from and freedom to. Mm. Like I have freedom from, you know, active alcohol addiction as I, uh, what do we say? Our sobriety is contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Mm -hmm. So it's not a permanent thing, although it may mm -hmm. continue till the end of my days. Uh, it's each day I have freedom from that harrowing, awful compulsion and addiction that was wrecking my life and would have ended it mm -hmm. at some point. I don't know when, but it, it was, it would not have ended pretty. I have freedom from that. I get to have freedom from uh, being af afraid of how things are going to work out, you know, and like we mm -hmm. talked about it, it ebbs and flows. It's, I don't mean to imply I have no fear, but I always return to that um, 
place, that let go, let God, that place of comfort. So I have freedom from all kinds of things that used to plague me, including, um, you know, the actual addiction, but then a whole bunch of other stuff, fears that went along with it, being isolated from others. And then I have freedom too. I can go anywhere. I can do anything. Um, I have freedom to explore my life and freedom to explore my path in life, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to take on new ideas and just, just like we talk about the program, just kind of see how they sit, see how they fit, you know, uh, and it's a wonderful combination of freed from so much that was holding me down and I'm free to explore um, the world and and the spiritual way of being and whatever this thing we call God might or might not be. Uh, there's just yeah. a lot of, it seems, um, it feels just open, open-ended. Yeah. yeah. It feels open-ended. It's one of the beautiful paradoxes of spirituality and of the 12-step program is that when we turn our lives over to the care of God as we understand God, we don't lose our freedom. <laughs> that It might feel like that when we're first doing it or when we first hear this step. That feels like, are you kidding me? Turning my will over to this thing? I'm not even sure what it is. But we're here to tell you that what you ultimately gain is freedom. Absolutely. You know, freedom from, well, what does our third step prayer say? Freedom from the bondage of self. That's the thing. And that's not self in a spiritual Buddhist kind of way. That's that's <laughs> ego self. Freedom that's from the fearful sub- ego subscript, self. Subscript, not even yes. lowercase. It's slower than lowercase. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that helps me to really trust the process and trust life to unfold as it should is that, and I learned this in Unity, I can't lose my good. You know, I can't miss it. You know, good is like... It's like uh, cars going by you and by you. If you miss one, there's another one coming. You you can't miss it. It's just going to keep coming. And so I don't have to go chasing after my good or try to capture it or try to hold on to it because the universe will just send more good my way. And what is mine cannot be missed. Yeah. I love that. And I'm with you on that. Yeah. Well, let's step back a little bit. We've had a whole lot to say. And if we can, uh, is it possible? to find a concise way to sum all this up. I don't know. Let's see. So Reverend Michelle, in a nutshell, if someone were to ask you uh, or tell you, I'm having trouble trusting this recovery process. I'm not sure that it's for me. You know, what do you think? So what we usually say in 12-step, and we also say this, I don't know about, we say this in our church, I don't know about yours, but we say this um, in unity, is give it a try. You know, try it out. Nobody's requiring you to sign up for life. Give it a try. And we we believe that it will pan out for you. And so talk to others, like we've been talking about today. Listen to others. Listen to what they have, you know, both in Unity Churches, if you attend, and in 12-step recovery rooms. If those folks seem to be living happy, joyous, and free, and you think that, you know, the Unity concepts and the 12-step program might have something to do with it, then give it a try and try to suspend that skepticism just long enough to be teachable, to be open. And then, like I say, the proof is in the pudding. We believe it will pan out for you. And then you will see why we have chosen this way of living because it works. Absolutely. And, you know, my very first thought on that was the same thing you just said. Just give it a try. You don't have I don't have to believe what anyone says about it. I can find out for myself. 
I can, if I think people are, you know, just saying a bunch of crap to look good, I can, I can sit there and discern over time if that's actually what's going on or not. I can just give it a try. Um, you mentioned talk to others, and I want to add, or just listen, or listen to others, yeah. because if you're like me, maybe n talking is not, um, it was not my go-to. Uh, so just listening to others. Uh, if at first, if that's all that I can do. And we have this phrase that I love, don't quit before the yes. miracle. Man, yeah. I love that phrase. I love it it's too. Just so, there's just so much encouragement and hope in it. There's just so much, it just feels open-ended in a good way. You know, I yeah. find it to be uplifting. Don't quit before the miracle. You know, stick around long enough to see the light start to come on a little bit and know yeah. that that's just the beginning. Yep, and trust that you are not terminally unique. If all of us have gotten the miracle, you can get it too. <laughs> yes. but my miracle is special. Well, that's true. <laughs> Obviously. Well, as always, we have an affirmation for you today to sort of gel all of this together. And our affirmation today is this. I trust God and allow the beauty of recovery to unfold in and through me. I do love that. And Michelle's our affirmation writer. Generator. Really <laughs> and I love this one. I love it. I trust God and allow the, allow the beauty of recovery to unfold in and through me. Well, it's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we are grateful. We hope that you have found something in all of our chin wagging today that will be genuinely helpful to you in your own recovery. Thank you, as always, Reverend Michelle Vargas, for our discussion. And thank you to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. Yes, and listeners, if you'd like, you can always connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, throughout the week. Go ahead and give us your thoughts and comments and feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And we invite you to, enjoy, to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. And don't drink like my co-host. Instead, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.